Thanks for listening to our podcast. The following is a ministry of Orchard Bible Church in Centennial, Colorado. Please join us on Sunday mornings. For more details, visit us online at orchardbible.org. This is the word of the Lord. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Let's pray. God, as we come to you in this Christmas season this morning, we look at the truth that you have for us. I pray that you would work a mighty work in each one of us. That you would help these thoughts and ideas enter into our minds. But more than that, that they would go into our hearts, that we would understand what this means for us and that it would change us. For your glory and for our eternal good, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, welcome, and uh, it's so great uh, for you to be here. Thanks for joining us this Christmas Sunday, a Sunday filled with a sense of anticipation, thinking of the greatest gift ever given. You may feel that spirit growing inside of you, and certainly the worship and uh, these special songs could help. Or you might not. Perhaps the shorter days and the longer nights. The weight of the ongoing pandemic, its impact on relationships, perhaps your own health struggles, conflicts, or feelings of loss from memories of Christmas's past have got you down, not feeling it. In fact, you feel worn out and worn down. Well, I know how you feel. That's why my sermon title is a phrase from a Christmas hymn that moves me Every year, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. The line comes from the song, O Holy Night, uh, which was translated into English in 1847, was originally written in French in 1843. If we translate the line from its original French, the, the line for our title here in the next, it would read, the whole world trembles with hope. In this night which gives him a savior. I love those words too, but they don't rhyme. (laughs) But rejoices rhymes with voices. So I can see why John Dwight chose to change them. And I'm not the only one who loves this song and this particular line either. There is a musical written by the same name and the publisher's description reads... A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. Nothing captures the awe and wonder of Christmas better than that single phrase from John Dwight's O Holy Night, and it serves as the cornerstone of this Christmas musical. 
On Christmas Eve, 1906, Reginald Fessenden, a 33-year-old university professor and former chief chemist for Thomas Edison, did something long thought impossible. This is so cool. I want you to picture yourself as a Morse code radio operator. Only coded impulses heard over tiny speakers had been sent over radio waves. And then the beeps are interrupted by a professor reading from the Gospel of Luke. It must have seemed like a miracle hearing a human voice transmitted from far away. And after finishing his recitation of the birth of Christ, Fessenden picked up his violin and played O Holy Night, the first song ever sent through the air via radio waves. So using this song's wonderful phrase for our outline, let's first acknowledge our weary world today and why we feel so exhausted. Then point two in your outline, I want to share why the birth of a poor Jewish boy half a world away and two millennia ago should bring us a thrill of hope today. And finally, I want to end this Christmas Sunday morning rejoicing together. So point number one, the world is weary. I remember having Mark Twain's masterpiece, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, read to me aloud by my mom when I was an older boy. I loved the whole thing, but the ending still lives in my mind, almost as vivid a memory as if I had lived the experience myself. As if I was Tom, playing hide-and-seek in a series of familiar caves with some school friends after a Saturday picnic. There were no flashlights back then, so they just have candles to light their way. And Tom Sawyer and Becky Thatcher eventually get bored, and they drift along, talking and exploring the secret depths of the cave system using their candles to make smoke marks on the wall so they can find their way back. In one amazing cave, they find glittering frostwork of crystals, but they cause hundreds of bats to flock down past them. And one of them puts out Becky's light as it flies past. Twain writes, Now, for the first time, the deep stillness of the place laid a clammy hand upon the spirits of the children. Becky said, Why, I didn't notice, but it seems ever so long since I heard any of the others. It could be that this story impacted me so deeply because years before, my family stayed at my great-aunt Marilyn's mansion. It was a wonderful place, sort of like a sprawling cave filled with glittering crystals, at least to a couple of poor missionary boys. And Jeff and I shared a room on one wing while my parents and sister were all the way around the house staying down another wing. And I woke up in the middle of the first night to absolute darkness. It was so disorienting that I woke Jeff up and as we felt around, we could not find our way out of the room and began to panic. So we started shouting for our parents over and over at the top of our lungs. But no one came. I tried to stay positive, thinking I'd find the light switch or the door eventually. But inside I concluded, 
somehow we had been kidnapped in the middle of the night. <laughs> we would have to wait for morning. Well, similarly, Tom tries to stay optimistic, but after many failed attempts to find a way back, we get this insight into his thoughts and feelings. He said it was all right, but there was such a leaden dread at his heart that the words had lost their ring and sounded just as if he had said, all is lost. Soon, Becky crumbles to the ground, sobbing on his shoulder. She clung to him. She poured out her terrors, her unavailing regrets, and the far echoes turned them all into jeering laughter. They rest some, talk of home, friends, comfortable beds, but most of all, the light. A few hours later, their last candle's flame climbs the thin column of smoke, lingers at its top a moment, and then the horror of utter darkness reigned. At one point, they hear people searching somewhere far off, and Tom shouts until he's hoarse, but the people's calls grow faint. They try to follow them, but they're forced to stop at a chasm. It could be shallow or a hundred feet deep, but it doesn't matter. They're trapped by the darkness either way. The picnic had started on Saturday, and by Tuesday they've spent three nights in the cave, and they believe the search for them has been given up. We read that Becky was very weak. She had sunk into a dreary apathy and would not be roused. She said she would wait now where she was and die. It would not be long. Tom takes his kite line, which is tied off at their spot by the spring, and he goes off alone trying to discover a way out. These two kids are a powerful picture of you and me, a microcosm of our world spiritually. They've spent three days stumbling around in the darkness, but it feels like an eternity and they've grown very weary. Many in our world have spent years in darkness looking for a way out. We seek desperately for something that will give us hope and will not disappoint. Something that does not leave us unfulfilled in the end. We're born with a longing that we cannot ignore. A longing to be special. Chosen. Loved and accepted, and a longing to offer a special, wonderful love to someone else. But our longing turns into a crushing weariness as we neither gain or offer anything close. So we cry out for a way of escape from our pain, from our past, from our lack of purpose, our litany of failures. But the only answer to our calls our far echoes turned into jeering laughter. The Bible speaks to our condition. Proverbs says the way of the wicked is like total darkness. They have no idea what they're stumbling over. We know we're searching for something, but we oscillate between collapsing in depression and wandering dark corners after answers. Some answers seem exciting. And promising for a while. But in the end, they only leave us deeper in the caves of sin and regret. 
In Isaiah 59, God tells his people, it's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he's turned away and will not listen anymore. So there is no justice among us, and we know nothing about right living. We look for light, but find only darkness. We look for bright skies, but walk in gloom. We grope like the blind along a wall, feeling our way like people without eyes. Even at brightest noontime, we stumble as though it were dark. The result of all this stumbling? Weariness in our souls. And that's why this first phrase from our song rings so true. We know that the world is weary. We feel it ourselves. Point number two, the thrill of hope. What a wonderful set of four words. You have felt it before. The thrill of hope. It's amazing to be taken from a low and dark place and be surprised as your heart shoots skyward so quickly by the thrill of hope. Tom Sawyer's village felt the thrill of hope. The village went to rest on Tuesday night, sad and forlorn. Away in the middle of the night, a wild peal burst from the village bells. And in a moment, the streets were swarming with frantic, half-clad people who shouted, Turn out! Turn out! They're found! They're found! The village was illuminated. Nobody went to bed again. It was the greatest night the little town had ever seen. That is what the thrill of hope feels like. Tom and Becky felt the thrill of hope in the cave. We read that he was about to turn back when he glimpsed a far-off speck that looked like daylight dropped the line and groped toward it, pushing his head and shoulders through a small hole and saw the broad Mississippi rolling by. He went back for Becky and he broke the good news. And she told him not to fret her with such stuff, for she was tired. And she knew she was going to die and wanted to. He labored with her and convinced her and she almost died for joy when she had groped to where she actually saw the blue speck of daylight. He pushed his way out and helped her out. And they sat there and cried for gladness. They had found the only way that had real light. The only way that could guide them out of darkness and death. And they felt the thrill of hope that would not disappoint. Letting go of the kite string in faith based on the real light that they saw, they escaped into life, flooded with light and love. But this is just a fictional story about kids by Mark Twain. Let's get back to reality. What could give you personally and the whole weary world a thrill of that same hope that is guaranteed to never go away? Surely, not the birth of a poor Jewish boy 2,000 years ago. If we imagine an epic, universe-changing, wondrous shockwave that can flood millions of real people with a thrill of hope, it would have to be a real light for this weary world. A real way of eternal life and gladness would need to appear as we sit in darkness. What if the coming of such a light had been foretold? 
What if in the darkness the people heard of it and believed and hoped and waited? Isaiah was written around 700 years before Christ. And we read from Isaiah 59 about our darkness. Well, later in the chapter, we read this promise. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation. And a redeemer will come to Zion to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. Isaiah also includes these words foretelling Jesus' coming. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God promised that he himself would one day come to restore broken, weary, sinful people to God. And the first gleam of hope appeared as a far off moving star And then one holy night, with a white-hot flash from thousands of angels, the Redeemer and light of the world arrived. Luke records, And then the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And that was the greatest night that the little town of Bethlehem had ever seen. How does Jesus, the baby who grew up to be a Jewish rabbi, whom history agrees existed and even agrees was killed on a Roman cross, how does Jesus offer the whole world a thrill of hope? Many have pointed to his humble example. Others, his wonderful teaching. Some even believe he was a prophet from God. But if he was just those things, he's just one of many good people, guiding us down one of many paths that we can take out of our darkness. There's no global thrill of hope in that. Here's why we celebrate the coming of Jesus at Christmas in a way completely unlike we celebrate the birth of any other human in history. Here is the thrill of hope for you and me. 
John's gospel tells us that Jesus existed before he was born. Because he is God. And that he created everything that exists in the universe. And that the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus does not claim of himself, I am a light in the world. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light. Jesus does not say he is a way to gain access to God. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Finally, in the last verses of the Bible, we hear, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. Clearly, Jesus does not believe he is one humble example or good teacher or prophet of many to bring us to God. So how does he mean to bring us to God? What's his offer? What thrill of hope does he give us? Let's go back to our problem to understand what we need. We started out trying to gain our parents' approval and most found In the end, that nothing we could do would be enough to fully receive that. Those few who did found out that it wasn't what we had been looking for. So we tried living for our friends' approval. Many hurts and failures later, we could see that that was a dead end. But we didn't stop. We didn't stop trying. Teachers, bosses, co-workers, neighbors... Girlfriends, boyfriends, a wife, a husband, our children. In each case, we're crying out in desperation. I am special and chosen, loved and accepted, and I can give you the same. But the approval that we could earn never satisfied, and the approval or success that was just out of reach, was never going to do it. Those people could never give you the approval that you hunger for. I need, and you need, someone bigger to look at you and say, I'm so glad you're mine. And nothing will ever change that. We need God's approval and acceptance, but we're so broken it's exhausting. We know that it's impossible. And then, the thrill of hope. Colossians says Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus is perfect. Jesus is accepted. God approves of him. So he came to suffer our rejection. 
And he gave us what we were created for. What we've always longed for. To be made perfect. And to have eternal love. Colossians continues, And you who were once alienated and hostile in your mind, doing evil deeds, he, Jesus, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. A.W. Tozer has put it this way, Jesus is the joy of heaven, and it is his joy to enter into Sorrowful hearts. We can exaggerate about many things, but we can never exaggerate our obligation to Jesus or the compassionate abundance of the love of Jesus to us. And that is why the coming of Jesus is the long-awaited thrill of hope for the whole weary world. Point number three Rejoice. This Christmas, I want you to rejoice. I'm coming to you like Tom coming to Becky. He had found the light of escape, and he went back to tell her the good news. They were saved. He didn't care how tired or hopeless she was. He labored with her to convince her to come and see for herself, to rejoice with him in the truth. This is no fiction. You and I were born into a spiritual cave of darkness. But Jesus really came to open the impossible. Forgiveness and perfect acceptance by God. So come with me and see his light. Don't despair. The apostles who lived with Jesus in the flesh wrote to us telling us exactly that. Listen to the apostle Peter in the verses that were read to us at the beginning. And picture Peter as Tom coming back to tell us what he's seen. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, okay? Pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Peter is saying, Believe in Jesus and rejoice. You're loved and accepted forever by God. Rise. Shake off your despondency. You thought you would die like this. But you can have eternal life. Jesus was born and died that you might live. So don't leave here and return to your searching down dead ends. Believe today and be transferred to the light. God is waiting there to embrace you. And to those of you who have believed, again I say, rejoice. Join Peter and John 
And Paul, who says in Ephesians 5, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. John MacArthur reminds us that God could have chosen any means to communicate his gospel, his good news to the world. But for reasons we can't fully comprehend, he chose us. You have been shown the way out of spiritual darkness. Go find other weary wanderers and share a thrill of hope and pray that the weary world rejoices with you. I'd like to close by reading the first verse from this song. O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared, and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees. O hear the angel voices. O night divine. O night when Christ was born. Please stand and pray with me as we close our time together. Dear Lord, as we stand before you right now, we know and understand what it is to live in, be part of, and experience a weariness. We truly are a weary world. Thank you for Christmas time, which reminds us of your birth, it reminds us of a thrill of hope that we so desperately want and we need and that you have provided. You have given us the answer to all that we've waited for and wanted through Jesus' birth and his subsequent death, which as we've just looked at, was required that he might face the rejection we deserve so that we could be accepted and loved, welcomed forever by you. We thank you, and we rejoice in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.